1 Corinthians 15. Pastor Sam, welcome again. <laughs> Praise God. Father, we just want to thank you for this wonderful privilege that we have to participate in fellowship, break the bread over your word, and to give you thanks for your goodness. We bless you for your mercies. Thank you for what today represents in the annals of Christian history. We honor you. We praise you. Bless your word. Anoint our ears. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for change that's taking place in us. We honor, we bless you. We praise your name forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 15. And this morning we're going to be sharing on the power of resurrection. The power of resurrection. Let me begin to read from verse uh, verse 3. First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas then by the twelve. After that, it was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, it was seen by James and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, it was seen by me also as by one born out of time. Let me just, let me just for a minute there. You know, if you're a prosecutor in any court case, one of the most valuable things you can bring to that court case is credible witnesses. And in the absence of a witness, your case is not nearly as strong as it ought to be. So if you have in a case one witness, you know that that's a good thing. If you have five witnesses on the same case, that's even better. If you have 10, 50, as many of these witnesses you can come up with, it strengthens the case you are presenting. Look at what God's done here from what Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians 15. God, at the resurrection, did not just have one witness, not just five witnesses, not just 10 or 50, how about 500 different men and women of diverse background that all saw Jesus at the resurrection. And as, the, as of the time when Paul was writing, some of them were still alive. Folks, this is the greatest event of all Christian history period. The resurrection is the foundation of the Christian faith. Not only that, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation of our hope. Hope being defined as a, uh, a positive, secured expectation of the future. In other words, if he did not get up, you and I will have nothing to really anchor our hope or our expectation or our future on. If he could not get up, as Paul said later on in this chapter, we will have been of all men most miserable. What distinguishes the Christian faith from all the other faiths? Whether it's Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and all of the rest. The distinction, the clear distinction between Christianity and the rest of these other faiths is the issue of resurrection. Buddha died and he's still dead. Muhammad died, was buried, and remains in the grave. But Jesus Christ of Nazareth predicted 
told us before it happened that it will happen. But that after it happens, in three short days, that it will rise up again. Hallelujah! That's what we know. <laughs> that we can take every promise of God to the bank. It doesn't matter how long it takes. Because he lives. We can face not only tomorrow, but every situation that comes our way. Now, let's go to the scriptures and see exactly what happened in that time. Matthew 27. I'm so excited this morning, just looking through these scriptures and just being quickened by them again. It's just amazing because the cross was the most powerful demonstration of God's love to mankind. The most powerful, I mean, what would take, what would cause a man to hang on the cross for somebody else? Now, we are not talking about just taking a pill and going to sleep. We are talking about being beaten to pieces, humiliated publicly, disrobed, and then placed on a cross and nailed the cross all the while where you have the, the, the ability to say no and say get me off this cross, let me get away from here. But he surrendered to all of that. Why? Because of his love towards us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, for scarcely will a righteous man die for anybody. And yet, God has commended his grace towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't do it because we were good. He did not do it because we deserved it. Oh, he did not do it because we even asked him to, so, to do so. He did this totally, completely on his own volition. It's unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor motivated him to do this for you and I. Not only was the cross the most powerful demonstration of God's love, it was also the most powerful demonstration of his power. Hey, Satan said, I got him. I've got him. Can you imagine that? Satan thought he killed God. Because if you can kill God, then there's no point just of us. He said he got him. If we could get a mirror to measure power and place that mirror, mirror at the tomb, let's, let's, let's measure the power that we will take to get this guy out of this grave. I bet you, I bet you that mirror will break. Because at the cross and at the tomb was the greatest manifestation of God's power. Hallelujah! Let's read Matthew 27. Let's pick it up from verse 50. Matthew 27 verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. Let's just take a pause right there. I don't know how many of you have seen people that are dying. Maybe you've been in the hospital when a loved one is passing away. One thing I can tell you for sure, you don't hear a loud noise. They are their weakest moments just before they expire. Whispers maybe. Weak voice perhaps. But never a loud voice shouting. Hey! So Jesus, after having been beaten and harassed and tormented and, 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 and bruised and broken, obviously in serious agonizing pain, Still had enough strength in him to not just say, Oh, it is 
No. Not this son of God. No. He was not weak to just say, oh, Father, forgive them. For no. None of that. The Bible said he cried out again with a loud voice indicating that this shout was not a shout of defeat. It was not a shout of regret. Rather, it was a shout of triumph. Devil, if you just know what's about to happen to you, you will change your mind. Hey! Hallelujah! It was a shout of changing of history. It was a shout where the devil himself was about to be dealt with. It was a shout of rejoicing, knowing what had just taken place. Hallelujah. Oh, let's give God a shout here this morning. <laughs> let's give him a shout this morning. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory be to God. It was a shout of victory. If you just know, devil, what's about to happen? You bruise my heels, I'm about to bruise your head. I'm about to put you in your place. I'm about to put you on the shelf. I'm about to remove your teeth. All you can do after I'm done with you is roar. Cry with a loud voice. Let's look at what happens next. And yielded up his spirit. That is important you know that. The devil did not kill Jesus. It is important you understand that. Death could not have a hold on him because he had no sin. Death only came because of sin. And because he was a sinless son of God, there was no way that he could have died. Say it is impossible. Say it is impossible for God to die. He yielded up his spirit. Let me take you to John chapter, four, chapter 10. Look at what he says. And this is why this is so important. Whatever happened on that cross did not happen and take Jesus by accident. Look at what he says in chapter 10. Verse 17. Therefore my father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. How many men before him or since him can speak that language? I'm going to lay it down and I'm going to pick it up again. Go and ask Buddha. Go and ask Muhammad. Go and ask Lazarus. John the Baptist. All of them. But this son of God announced to us because my father loves me I'm going to lay my life down and I'll pick it up again. Look at verse 18. No one takes it from me. And that no one includes what? The devil. But I lay down myself. This is a voluntary thing. God voluntarily, joyfully, delightfully, with pleasure, laid his life down as a demonstration of his love towards you and I. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. He loves us so he free willingly, voluntarily laid his life down. That's how much God loves us. They couldn't kill him. He laid it down. You can't kill God. You can't kill God. But he free willingly, free willingly laid his life down only to pick it back up again. Because if they killed him, they could have kept him killed. But because he laid it down, 
it could pick you back up. You need to understand that this morning. God's love for you and me caused him to go to the cross. Now, verse 51, and this is the biggie. Then behold, the veil of the temple was turned into two from top to bottom. Ah, there's so much there. Sometimes we read these scriptures too quickly and we miss the, the point God is trying to make. Now you have to understand the role of the veil in Jewish religious worship system. That temple in Jerusalem was the center of Jewish religious life. And in that temple, there were three compartments. The outer court, where most of Israel worshipped. The holy place, where the priests functioned. And then you had the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant that represented the power, the glory, and the presence of God dwelt. Follow me. This is huge. This is the, this, this issue of the veil is, the, is one of the most powerful poignant points in the resurrection. So this veil that we are talking about was what separated the holy place from the holy of holies. In contemporary terms, it would be like a curtain. Only this was no ordinary curtains. I don't know if you've been on airplanes. Well, I know some of you came by the boat, so that's why I'm saying that. <laughs> some, some of you came by boat, you know, across the... No, I'm just joking. <laughs> there are compartments on the aircraft. The first class compartment is cardened off from the rest of the aircraft with a curtain. And these days, the captain will make an announcement like this. Let every passenger remain in his cabin. You cannot come from the wonderful, precious economy class <laughs> into first class for security reasons. If you need to use the bathroom, precious economy passengers, go to the back of the aircraft and have a romance with the toilet in the back of the plane. <laughs> and to make sure you don't violate that principle, they have a curtain. That curtain says to you clearly, stay out or stay away. So in Israel, they had this veil that is actually a curtain. And the veil was a separation point between where God dwelt and where the rest of the people were. It was a divider between the presence of God in the most holy place and where the rest of the people dwelt. Only the high priest, Aaron, once in a year, there, crossed through the veil to offer sacrifice and that only once a year. Otherwise, he got killed. Are you following? The veil was a remembrance to everyone that man was unfit for the presence of God because of sin. In fact, let me take you to some scriptures before, before I go any further. This is huge. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Because this is so critical. What, what the Bible just said to us in one verse, in that verse 51, is too much. Hebrews chapter 9. Let me read from verse 1. Look at what it says. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, 
the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that bought it, and the tables or tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we can now, now speak in detail. Okay? Verse 6. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. Look at verse 8. The Holy Spirit indicating this that the way into the holiness of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Okay? So, as long as the first tabernacle, the old covenant, was still standing, that veil indicated that there was no access granted for everyone yet to ever go into God's presence. That's why they had to go through Aaron or the high priest. And unfortunately, even today, there are many denominations or religious circles that still depend on one man or one woman as the only access to God. They go to church, they preach in language that they don't understand, they speak Latin, Greek, or whatever they think they speak, and they, just have, they have this one man that translates to them what God is saying. Because even though the access is granted now, they still have not come to that light. God deliver us from ignorance. So this veil was a clear sign that man in his present condition was unfit for God's presence. That's why Isaiah in chapter 59 says, our sins have separated us from God. Now notice what it says. This is huge. He did not say that our sins separated God from us. I need to say that one more time. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 did not say that our sins separated God from us. But it separated us from God. Huge difference. No matter where you are, no matter what you have done, no matter what you are doing, God has access to you. Cain killed Abel. And it was God that took the initiative. Cain, what have you done? God had access to him. He didn't have one to God. Not because God... Oh man, this, this is too much. Adam sinned in the original sin in the garden. Adam, man, was hiding because his sin had separated him from God. But his sin did not separate God from him. God came and found him and said, Adam, where are you? Huge. You need to understand this, this sense. It's huge. This is huge. Now, let's move on on this veil thing. In Solomon's temple, I'm giving you this background because when I hit the, the punchline, revelation can come and jump at you. In Solomon's temple, we know that the veil was at least 30 cubics high, which in today's language would be 45 feet. 45 feet high. And Jewish history, according to the writing of Josephus, a first century historian, tells us that the veil was not only 45 feet during the time of Solomon, it was also four inches thick. And then when that temple was destroyed and Herod built a new temple to replace Solomon's temple, he increased the height of the veil. Now it's no longer 30 cubics, it's 40 cubics, which in today's measurement will be 60 feet high. 
is the significance of all of these measurements. God was showing me and you the escalation of what sin does. 60 feet high to protect God from man or man from God and four inches thick. So, this is what we have. On that Good Friday, at about the same time that the Jewish religious system will go into the temple to begin to offer the sacrifice for Passover, at that, about that precise time, God's Passover on a little hill called Calvary was taking place simultaneously. I can just picture in my mind's eyes the priest having slaughtered the lamb and taking that blood to the holiest of all to go sprinkle upon the ark of the covenant where dwells in the mercy seat to obtain mercy and to find grace to help for all of Israel. In that precise moment that that priest was about to go do this thing that was supposed to be an exclusive function of only the high priest. At that same time, God was offering the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. Hallelujah! In that precise moment, to the priest's dismay and confusion, the Bible said that God himself ripped tore apart the veil from the top to the bottom. Hallelujah! Even though it was four inches thick and sixty feet in height, Holy Ghost took a divine scissors and tore it apart. Oh, hallelujah! Can you imagine this religious priest who for 20 years have performed this routine, carrying the blood into the holy place and walking through the veil before the Ark of the Covenant and all of a sudden on this day, before he can walk in there, he's in torn to pieces. I can imagine the denominational confusion. I can imagine the religious confusion. I can imagine him trying to try to get to say, oh, no, no, no. God is speaking. God is saying, then and today, that the old is passing away. My God, if any man be in Christ Jesus, is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's a new day. It's a new season. It's a new hour. Jesus has become the veil through which we enter in a new and living way in the presence of God. That's why he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If anyone comes by me, you can only come by me through God. It's too much. Just as priests were confused then, they're still confused today, unfortunately. They can't just understand that God does not want to be placed in the box. Every box we create for God is packed out of it. So we find a bigger box. We paint it a new color. We give it a new name. And God just, he mellows for a minute. After a while, when you see it, he steps out again. He tore the veil from top to bottom. Signified for you and I a new way has been made. And for the first time, not just the elite could worship God. Not just the high and mighty. Not just those with clergy collar. Not just those with uh, rings and chains on their neck and cro- big cross on their No, 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 no. God is not for the elite. He's not for the few. He's not just for those selected few. God is a God of the earth. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. No. 
God is for all of us. Amen. And by tearing the veil into, to, into, from top to bottom, grants us access. Now it's important for you to realize this. Remember, the veil was there because of sin. You need to really get this. When God tore that veil from top to bottom, it was signified to you and I that the only sacrifice he will accept thereafter had been offered. Because the only thing that gave the high priest of the old order exclusive, exclusive right to go in there through the veil was to offer blood. So by tearing it apart, God says, the only perfect sacrifice once and for all has been offered. There is no need for any more sacrifice. Somebody tells you to go and bring three chicken and one lizard and all this nonsense. You need to tell them that Jesus Christ has paid the price. It's all! When I was in school back in those days, they tell you to go and bring a red-headed lizard. You cut, the, the, you cut the stomach and put the ring inside of it. You wear the ring and go shake a woman's hand. The girl will love you. <laughs> Lie! <laughs> From the way you guys are laughing, many of you did that same thing. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Jesus, his sacrifice became sufficient. Think about that. That one offer became all sufficient to answer the wrath of God concerning sin. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I need to make a statement and I'm praying that God will help you to hear it ahead accurately. That sin issue was settled 2,000 years ago. It was. Now, on this side of glory, you and I have to live right, we have to believe God and we have to trust the Holy Spirit to help us. But you must understand from God's perspective, it was a done deal. That's why the veil was broken. Access to all who believe it. There is no sin that you can now sin. Oh, I, I, know, I, I know religions in the house. This is Resurrection Sunday. I know all kinds of people are here. But I have to say it. There is no sin that you can now commit for which Jesus did not take care in advance. paid for. My God, paid for. Because if that was not the case, you could not be born again now. He paid for your sin 2,000 years ago. Not today. You are bought from the slavery of sin. Not today. Uh -uh. But 2,000 years ago. The sin you have not committed was forgiven in 2,000 years ago. Did you understand that? When Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Plural. For they know not what they were doing. He was not talking about joy. I mean, were you there then, sir? Well, are you sure you are not there? Oh, I thought maybe you are ancient of this. Maybe, maybe you are there. None of us was there. And yet he issued a blanket wholesale forgiveness for all mankind. If there was no so, then there are too many scriptures we need to reckon with. John 1 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What do you do with that? Now, are we saying that because Jesus 
took our sins and forgave it before we ever sinned. Are we saying that now gives us a license and liberty to sin? Absolutely not. Because there are grave consequences for living in sin. In fact, the reason that people cannot appreciate the love of God, sense the love of God, embrace the love of God, is sin. The sins people commit dull their sense of being able to appreciate what God has done. But it does not stop God in loving you. Absolutely. You cannot sin enough to make God stop loving you. I'm sorry, Mr. Stephen. <laughs> for God so loved the world not the church he so loved the world he gave his only begotten son not that he so loved the church and among that world was Hitler Idi Amin Osama Bin Laden Boko Haram all of them are part of the world and God loves them all understand that if you will but God is not mine he loves the world and first John tells us the propitiation, the propitiation of our sins is not just for us, the church, but for the whole world. You need to understand what happened at that cross. That's why that cross is a big issue. That's where the sin issue was dealt with once and for all. And when you now understand how much God loves you, nobody will have to tell you not to sin. The antidote for sinning is understanding the love of God. When you know how much he loves you, you will, you will receive the grace, the enablement to want to please him the rest of your life. Go and ask Joseph. If you think Potiphar's wife was not beautiful, ask Joseph. Because the captain of an army in Egypt by the mere virtue of his position, he must get the most beautiful woman. Mm. And here comes this young boy, mm. 17, 18. And the madam is seeing him every day. Ah, the captain is too busy. He's commanding the army. He's commanding the army. So this, this young boy here, he, he, must, have, you know, he must be able to del deliver. <laughs> and she seduced him. On and on and on and on. How? Why did Joseph stand? Can somebody ask her that question for me? There was no ten commandments given at the time. This was in Genesis. Ten commandments did not come unto Exodus. Who taught him not to commit adultery? Which seminar on morality did he go to? I can tell you where he went. He understood the power and the presence of God in his life. Because when the woman confronted him, what did he say? He did not say, I fasted. He did not say, I read the Bible. He said, I cannot do this and sin against God. God, I can't sin against the spirit of grace. The grace of God that broke me out of Canaan. The grace of God that removed me out of the pit. The grace of God that planted me in this house. The grace of God that has given me favor before Potiphar. No, no, no. Nothing. I will not frustrate, violate the spirit of that grace. What kept him is not the rules and regulations and the policies. No. What kept him was the presence of God in his life. What kept him was the grace of God in his life. He said, no, I've enjoyed God's favor. I don't want to put myself at disfavor with God. When you understand God's love for you, you will run away from sin. Sin will have no attraction for you. Why? Because you are beholding him. He was beautiful. You are beholding him who is made in perfection. And everything of this world will grow strangely dim compared to him. No gold or diamond can be offered you to equal what 
you get in Jesus. Amen. Love is the issue. Love is the issue. So the cross settled it. The Father God told that veil indicated sin is done with. God's dealt with it once and for all. Once and for all. Okay, let's go on to try to close now. Let me just read one more scripture. In Acts 17. And then I'm going to move from the veil. Acts 17. Verse 24. Just so we are clear. God, who made the world and everything in it, since is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Do you hear that? It does not matter who is building that temple. It does not matter how beautiful it is. You know the truth? If we can actually meet without a building, it will be wonderful. God is not in the building. It's in you. So we are not going to church. I am church. Ah, you didn't get it. You didn't get it. I mean, come on. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God left that place and since then said, it's not going back there. It's not going back there. Amen? Amen? So Jesus was not killed. He gave up the ghost. He did not uh, give up the ghost in weakness. He cried out with a loud voice. And then God came as a result of that sacrifice, validated that Jesus is the son of God, tore the veil from top to bottom because no man could have done it. It was too tall and too thick. Only God could use his divine scissors to do so. Now, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Back in Matthew chapter 27. Verse 51 again. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I really appreciate that little detail. Because if the Bible did not tell us from top to bottom, some people would say, well, maybe the priest caught it. <laughs> the amazing thing, the priest himself was confused. I mean, can you imagine that? Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, Pastor Sam, there's too much here for all of us as leaders. I mean, really, for, for all of us as believers. I, I, I was just thinking now of David moving the ark after he had been captured for years back to Jerusalem. And the Bible says when he got to the threshing floor of uh, 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 nature, the oxen stumbled. And I hear, and I hear, they were afraid that God would fall. The oxen stumbled and looked like the, like the ark was going to fall down. Ah, we must, let, we must not let God fall. Said so they tried to support it. They died. Whatever God is breaking in your life, let it break. That's the point I'm making. There are some shakings going on that is of God. Religious practices, religious systems that we've been entrenched in for so many years that is not allowing the move of God in our life. God says, I want to discard it. I want to cut it to pieces. I want to break it. Let it break. Don't tamper with God. Programs that we have in church that's not functioning, that's not moving, that's not productive. Don't be afraid of change. If it's not working, stop it. If it's not productive, stop it. If it's not bringing life, quit it. Stop it. Don't try to show fig leaves to cover something that is already broken. Okay. And now, the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Now, these are the sim- symptoms of the power meter. Earth was quaking. Rocks were splitting. If there, were, if there could be a power meter, I mean, can you imagine? Rocks are symbol of stability. You rock of Gibraltar. You stand. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a rock. Really? When you put the power of God on that rock. 
not broken to pieces. That's the kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead that is available to you and I today. Amen. Not next week, not in a by and by, but right now. Earthquaking, rock splitting power. That's what God demonstrated. But that's not all. And this is where we're going to close. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Oh my goodness. What is the one thing that men are afraid of? Death. That's what Revelation says. We should not be afraid unto the death. But that we overcome by the power of the blood. And by the words of our witnesses. So with the earthquaking, rock splitting power. That power was so indiscriminate. That when it got to the grave... Even the grave, who up to that time was under the jurisdiction of Lucifer, even the grave had to give way to the power of God that was present. Now understand what Paul was saying in the book of Colossians. That the handwriting that was upon us has been nailed to the cross. That we are triumphed in it. That it disarmed principalities. Are you remembering that in Colossians chapter 2? Because back in that day, when the Romans went to war, the entire subjects of Rome were in great anticipation, wondering what the status of the battle was. And the only way they could be confirmed or they could be, they could be assured that the battle was won was not just because CNN flashes the news, we've overtaken Babylon. No, 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 no. That was not enough back in those days. There was no CNN, by the way. The only way the people could be assured that the victory had been won was that they would bring the spoils of the battle and parade the city and demonstrate for all the subjects. This was the captain of the opponent. This is the lieutenant of the opponent. We've not only defeated them, we've cut their hands and their fingers. They can no longer fight us. Therefore, that physical token that they brought back, the captured opponent, was a demonstration to the subjects who who had been in fear that the battle had truly been won. So what did Jesus have to do to show me and you in 2016 that not only did he raise from the dead, but that every saint who has also died in Christ, they are just as secured as he is. So what did he do? He went to the graveside. I can hear him say, Daniel, hey, this is your moment to come out of the grave. Joseph, you are faithful your time. Now arise. I can hear him say, Moses, it's time. You've slept for a season. Now, come out and model your new body for those that are still living so they'll know that yes I am the living and was dead but now I am alive so those things on his resurrection oh this is too good now you understand why God calls him the firstborn among the dead he's not just the only resurrected one he's the first among the dead so he rose up please can you stand up good he rose up and then the rest of them rose up with him I'm saying to you there's resurrection waiting for you the enemy cannot hold you down the devil cannot kill you in the name of Jesus you will live again you will rise again every dream every home that's broken everything that's broken in your life receive resurrection power in the name of Jesus your finances are resurrected your families are resurrected your jobs are resurrected your businesses are resurrected in the name of Jesus oh glory to God 
Glory to God. Glory to God. The life of God. The life of God. The life of God. Everything in your life that seem to be dead. Maybe dreams. Maybe rebellious children. Relationships. Spouses. Businesses. Careers. Whatever they lie that the enemy has told you concerning those things. We bring them right now under the resurrection power. And we command life to come back to it. In the name of Jesus. Father, we receive it now. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us now. So, Father God, I speak to every man and every woman under the sound of my voice that may not even know you right now. That may not accept Jesus and your ultimate sacrifice. Receive the life of God now. Yes, you've been forgiven, but you've not received it. To receive it, you must believe it. And so if you are here, we are giving you that opportunity right now. To believe and receive the greatest gift in the universe. The gift of God's forgiveness. The gift of God's forgiveness. Counseling every guilt, every shame, every condemnation right now in the name of Jesus. Is anybody here this morning that say, Pastor, I want to receive that gift. Is anybody here? Say, I want to receive that gift. I want to be born again. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Is anybody here say, I want to be born again. I want to partake of this wonderful gift of forgiveness. Is anybody here? When God forgives you, he forgives you completely. Completely. All you have to do is believe it. Believe that he's done it and it is yours. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Pastor Shina, will you come please? Come, come, come. My friend, please come here, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much. 